Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton, and my favorite episodes nothing against anybody I've interviewed that are not startup founders, are really digging into new companies in town uh, who've gotten funding and just doing really interesting things. So I'm excited to have my next guest, Patrick Lightbody, who's a co-founder of Reclaim AI. Patrick, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. You know, as we I was mentioning before we started recording that I saw uh, something in the news about funding and, you know, started to do a little more research because admittedly I hadn't heard of uh, the startup yet mm-hmm. and just it resonated with me as someone who <laughs> needs this tool. Um, so I guess I'd love to just kind of dig in and, and learn a little bit about yourself and um, what Reclaim AI is. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I can I, I think it the best way to describe it, um, is, uh, uh, we're a, I think we, we, our tagline today, we're still working through the, uh, you know, the, the evolving marketing and whatnot, but is a, you know, smart calendar assistant, um, you know, or a smart friend for your calendar or something along those lines. Basically, I like it. uh, we're a piece of software that aims to do some, not certainly not all, um, but some of the job that say a professional executive assistant might do in particular around the time blocking and time management. And as it relates to, um, you know, literally being on your digital calendar. Um, and the kind of, you know, impetus behind it was really born. I think there's a few things I can get into and, you know, as we, as we keep talking around the, the origin story, but I'd say the, uh, one of the driving causes was quite literally, um, Henry, my co-founder and I both lived the pain of managing, you know, managing our time, managing our calendars as, um, kind of mid to senior executives at, uh, at a, Portland software company, New Relic. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that certainly, you know, helped us understand our market pretty quickly because it was basically for ourselves uh, and lots of other people like us. And it turns out there's quite a few. I mean, the tool couldn't have come out a better timing. And I want to dig into a little bit more about the functionality of, of mm-hmm. uh, you know, the tool and the platform and, you know, some of your cu- early customers and, and all that good stuff. But it seems, and I'm having... I'm having a day with my calendar, so uh, this could become useful. Um, during this past 12 months and this pandemic, and you would think that we would have more time to dedicate to solo work and just focus. I've, I found it's the complete opposite. Yep. I'm having a really difficult time carving out things. So um, through your development of the the platform, and I don't know if you 
we'll get, I would like to learn if you started before pre pandemic, I'm assuming you kind of did, but I wasn't mm -hmm. sure. Um, how has this time kind of informed the product? Yeah. Um, I mean, you hate, you hate to say these word this phrase out loud. So I'm, you know, I'll say it with an asterisk, but you know, of course we really benefited from the pandemic. Um, not in the same way I'd say that, you know, the big tech, um, you know, monsters have, and you know, they become, <laughs> right. you know, multi-trillion dollar companies, but, but we did benefit in the sense that, um, a lot of the problems we were solving became even more acute as people were forced abruptly to work from home. Um, and, and not just work from home, but work from home um, in a high stress environment and work um, in an environment where, you know, they are juggling personal commitments and personal wellness on top of their just heads down work they have to get done that's on yeah. top of the meetings that they have to do as part of their regular job. Um, so yeah, uh, we did start it uh, mid, mid 2019. So it was before the pandemic. Okay. Uh, we were originally in a true to life garage uh, startup. Um, we were we, there were three of us uh, back in September 2019. And we were working out of the the kind of living space above the garage at my house. Okay. And, um, you know, we're doing that up until basically, I guess it was end of February, early March, it's all kind of a blur now. But my yeah. co-founder Henry uh, actually went off to Asia, you know, and it was like it was like a two and a half week vacation, and you know we sort of like make light jokes at first. We're like, oh yeah, you know, watch out for you know COVID, and of course he barely was able to get back, uh, wow. from, you know, from all the uh, travel uh, lockdowns that started happening, um, and that was basically the last time we all worked together in an office, um, and mm. we're all work from home too. So we went through the same transition that you know, the whole corporate world had to, um, yeah. uh, but yeah, unfortunately a lot of what we were envisioning just was even more relevant in this, in this time period. So let's get into some of the functionality if you don't, you mind, I mean, we don't want to get yeah. to the weeds too much, but sure, yeah. just kind of, you know, high level, how does it work? How does it integrate with a lot of tools people are using like Calendly and other mm -hmm. things? Yeah. So, um, I mean the, the, the gist of, of what Reclaim does, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a, friend, a smart friend for your calendar, um, is it's a, it's a little different. It's not a calendar app. So some people hear that and they're like, Oh, it's a different, you know, a different kind of calendar I can use. Um, we do have a bit of an interface that looks like a calendar, but we are not, our goal is not to go be a different calendar for you. In fact, one of the lessons we learned, um, while at our time at new relic was there's a lot of power in kind of be going and operating and being where your customers already are. Um, so if your customers are, are using a certain calendar app or they're inside a Slack collaborating, there's a lot of benefit to showing up and integrating with those environments rather than asking mm. them to change their workflows. And so that was mm. one of our very early design philosophies is integrate in with existing platforms, existing apps, um, and augment the workflow. So, um, you know, backing up, uh, and I, you know, I can talk more about like the bigger picture and where we're going to go, um, okay. cause it feeds into our origin story. But if I get into just like the core functionality, we, we basically have three or four major features. The first one it, we launched just before the pandemic in early 2020, and it's a calendar sync. Um, it's kind of the most basic in a way, but it turns out there's a lot of subtleties to it, but the most basic feature and the most universal because almost everybody at some point ends up having at least two digital calendars if they work in kind of the, you know, knowledge worker, you know, right. professional context. 
um, one for their personal life and one for their work. Um, and uh, it's, it was actually funny. We, we, we were out talking to different customers and the only group that we saw that didn't have that were either, well, there's two groups, I guess there was, there was millennials who were in their first job. Um, okay. Yeah. and, and it was just interesting or, or even, I don't know what, I don't know what the thing is before millennials, but you know, people who are early in their career and, um, and they, they kind of adopted the posture of like, well, I, I just put all my stuff, my personal stuff on my calendar, but it was interesting because over a span of several months, we talked to a few of them and then they'd come back to us and they'd say, well, turns out I'm job hunting and suddenly I need mm. a personal calendar because they, of course they're not going to put job interview, uh, on their work <laughs> calendar. Uh, Some so do just, and I've learned that lesson the hard way, a, but that's a power move, I suppose. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh, and then the other group was entrepreneurs, um, people who, you know, who really tightly identify their personal life and their, their professional life so tightly that they're one and the same, but for the most part, it, you know, it's fairly universal. So we saw, we went and solved that problem first. And, and literally what we do, um, is once you've set it all up, we watch your personal calendar and when something arrives on your personal calendar, we block out time on your work calendar. And that sounds, you know really straightforward and obvious. Um, but of course, I think most people who've worked in this environment have have forgotten to do that and yeah. have had these moments where it's like they're literally sitting down into the dentist chair right as someone's frantically calling them and saying, where the heck are you? Uh, yep. And so, you know, we, we, we basically can stop that in advance and do a, just do a job that, that can be automated. Um, and we apply, and this gets into some of our other features, so I'll, I'll call it out here, what we do is we also apply some some reasonable privacy to it as well. So, for example, mm. um, a lot of what people were struggling with, especially in the pandemic, but really any kind of work from home environment, is context. Understanding what your peers are up to. Are they available? You know, are they trying to get their kids on their next Zoom class call? Are they, yeah. you know, trying to, you know, just get outside for a few minutes because they're losing their minds, or are they ready to work? Um, and some of that kind of information is is really helpful in a virtual environment. Um, you can kind of get it in the office space because you can like peer your head down the hallway and see yeah. if someone's at their desk. You can't do that in the digital world, uh, but there is there are two very common signals um, for that, and that is what's on your calendar, your work calendar, as people look at it, and also um, what does your Slack status say or your Microsoft oh. Teams status. And so what we do is we not only block the timeout, we, and we have a few options, but the default one is we, we say, we actually block it out in a very intentional way where we say personal commitment, um, mm. and we make it public. We make it so everybody can see it. They can't see what mm. is going on. So it could be a job yeah. interview, it could be a dentist appointment, it could be whatever, uh, but they get more context. And we, we started finding that that was like suddenly this really interesting moment where people were appreciating that this little robot was kind of helping broadcast like, Hey, here are the boundaries in my world. Um, and here's the best way to engage me and work with me. Yeah. You know, I was, I mean, this can open a whole nother box of things. Um, and I'm sure it's on your roadmap is that those just boundaries period. <laughs> I mean, this is a tool right now, but I mean, it's just a whole broader thing is that we're all struggling, struggling with that concept. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that being said, I mean, cause I, 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 you know, you're not watching video. I was kind of covering my ears cause in the old office environment, it's like, if you had your headphones on, that was kind of the signal, right? Don't bother yep. me. Yep. Um, so what are some of the things as you, you know, expand the product, 
kind of potentially on the roadmap you can share? Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Well, so we started with the calendar sync and, um, and then we expanded. We basically, it's kind of like the, the hierarchy of needs of, of what people <laughs> have to deal with as they're managing their time. And the first one is just like straight up, you know, your work and your life boundaries um, and making sure there's like clear delineation and that you're not getting double booked and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting side note uh, for your listeners, um, anyone who's a consultant, uh, turns out we actually built like a killer app for, for consultants. That's not our main kind of focus, but those mm. poor souls um, often get dragged into where they might have four or five different calendar and, and identities and you know they're wrestling they're wrestling this stuff and if it's a, if it's their own practice you know they probably can't afford to pay for a full-time assistant and so they were really struggling and so we've we've actually got this really interesting niche of, of rabidly hmm. uh, rabid fans uh, of our product who use us to integrate many calendars together but um, but we went on from there we said okay look we, we can block out you know time for personal commitments kind of one-off personal commitments that are happening on, in, in your world but what about routines. And so in mid 2020, we got into a a feature we call habits, which is block out time for stuff I want to do on a regular basis. So it might be lunch. That's the most common common one our customers use. Um, Mm -hmm. It might be catch up on your inbox. Um, That's one that, you know, I think people have really struggled with because they're sucked into so many meetings and then they're sitting on their couch at nine o'clock, not talking to their partner. Instead, they're looking at the laptop and you know, trying so to, guilty. trying to catch up. So um, that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, or it could be go for a walk, you know, I mean, especially in the pandemic, just get outside and walk around and, and get, you know, get, get some separation. So it was a mix of personal and professional things that we got into. And what was, what I think really struck a chord with people is it wasn't just that we were putting time on the calendar because anybody, you know, you can do that yourself. You can block yeah. out. People do this, right? They put a one hour block at, at 12 o'clock at lunch and they say, I'm getting lunch. The problem with that is anybody who is sufficiently busy and has enough demand for their time to, you know, for meetings is often then having to renegotiate uh, with people or with that block of time because mm-hmm. they're working across time zones. They're working across lots of different, you know, with lots of different people and not everyone's availability lines up there. So there's this inherent tension around time blocking on your calendar and being available to to meet with people. And if you're in the kind of, you know, more manager persona where you meeting is part of your job, um, then you you feel that tension quite a bit. And so what we did with our habits and then later our task feature we launched uh, later in last year um, is we did this really clever thing. Uh, and we're working on getting this all patented and whatnot because it's 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 kind of the only thing out there in the market uh, mm. where we watch your availability on the calendar and we watch the 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 demands on your time and also the ideal outcome you want where you've told us and said like I'd like to get lunch sometime between eleven thirty and two every day and mm. you know between thirty and sixty minutes ideally um, and we 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 kind of compute all that and we're calculating all the time what's what's happening on your calendar and if we detect that there's slack in your schedule for a given day or given moment in time we will mark that event on the calendar as free and what that does it's not automated yeah it's fully automated and so what that does though by marking as free a lot of people don't even know that that's a thing that you can you can take events on your calendar and explicitly say this is available time or this is unavailable time by default, mm-hmm. calendars make the time on your calendar as busy. So what we're doing is we're marking it as free 
up until we sense that you're about to run out of time. And then we flip it to busy. And so okay. in a technical sense, it kind of acts like a circuit breaker. So mm. we might present your whole middle of your day as available and open. Someone might then book an hour from 1130 to 1230. And we'll move that was what was secretly there that they couldn't see was a 12 to one lunch slot. We'll move it to 1230 and then block it out. And now suddenly okay. your middle of your day has filled up because you took that meeting. But it adapted to that. to what the you know what you both wanted. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the business. Um, yeah. I don't know what's public you can share uh, as far as the funding and how did you you know kind of bootstrap it your, yourself for a bit or looked outside funding and you know you worked at New Relics so you probably had a little bit of a network here locally and just how was that process being in Portland too? Yeah, so this is this is my. Th- third startup um, and my first raising money, uh, or okay. I should say successfully raising money. Um, my first, <laughs> I didn't at all, I didn't try. My second, I sort of tried. And then on this one, I we, we actually did. Um, you know, some factors were just different life circumstances. I, you know, there were no kids in the picture uh, in the previous two. Now I've got three yeah. kids. Um, and, and some of it was also the market dynamics had changed dramatically. Um, my, my second startup, I was, it was bootstrapped and I want to say it was around a $400,000 annual run rate of revenue. And, um, I was still struggling to get term sheets at like a $2 million post money valuation. Now, now granted this was, uh, 2000, uh, I want to say eight, seven or eight. Uh, so this was a while ago, but you know, at the time then, you know, you're talking to investors and it's like, mm, Portland, I don't know about that. You know, I remember one one particular meeting that really struck a chord. One of the few investors who really liked what I was doing, which was in that kind of testing and automation and performance space, was Ben Horowitz. Um, because Ben Horowitz uh, was actually, the, I think, the president of what was the Mercury Interactive business after it folded into um, HP. I think if I'm right. getting all these things right. So he knew this market really well. And he was one of the few investors that was like super hungry and actually excited to invest in, in my startup. But he had this contingency. He, he said, only if you do what Zuckerberg did and move on down to the Bay Area and sleep on a mattress and, you know, like all this stuff. And it was just this like glorified, like everything's in Silicon Valley. And of course, completely different today where one, there's like, you know, the cool thing in the Silicon Valley VC world is to talk about how you're moving to Miami or somewhere else. Yeah, Austin um, or Austin. Yeah. And then and then also Portland itself has become a lot more, um, you know, accepting uh, thanks to companies like Jive Software, New Relic and others who who have like, you know, put us on the map, at least to some degree where it's a reasonable place to invest in, and to grow yep. a business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the difference between those, you know, roughly 14 years, 13 years, whatever it was, um, uh, it was drastic. Um, I wouldn't say it was easy still. Um, we, we had a bit of a false start where we, we, we kind of got sucked into the game of investing before we built our product. And there's a lot of conventional wisdom around, um, in, you know, in the broader startup ecosystem that says, you know, raise before you've got any customers or any revenue, you know, raise on the hopes and dreams uh, rather Mm -hmm. than on real metrics when you're early stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can certainly understand, you know, how that that can work for some folks. For us, um, you know, I think there were a variety of reasons and I don't want to pivot this conversation too deep into the world of venture. I'll just say, you know, we struggled with that 
uh, with raising what would be called a mango seed round in fall of 2019. And so we ended up doing a smaller round with, with, you know, various angels, some of which were here in, in, in uh, Portland, including uh, my old boss at New Relic, um, Jim Gochi, who's the chief product officer. Um, and, uh, and then ultimately raised our first angel check from an institution from a firm called Flying Fish, uh, which is a small, mm-hmm. uh, seed fund in Seattle. Um, and their, yeah. their thesis, and they've made a number of investments in the Portland area. Their thesis is that markets like Portland, um, and, and kind of the Pacific Northwest are underserved and they're trying to serve that. And so we had a good match there. And then we came back, you know, six months later, nine months later and, uh, you know, was able to do a, a, a larger round that was probably closer to what we were originally thinking, um, in large part from the traction that we had gained actually right. going to market. No, I, I think it is interesting because, you know, for entrepreneurs that are listening, I've had some um, investors on. I just had Diane Freeman from Voyager. So to get mm-hmm. all these perspectives about Portland and the maturity of it. And now with what's going on, just getting talent and that stigma gone, and it's just as hard to get talent here as anywhere else now, right? So oh, yeah. that being said, what's kind of on that thread, uh, kind of growth f- f- for you? What's next as far as hiring or maybe still wait till product market fit gets a little more mature or what do you, what do you think? Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we've got reasonably good initial product market fit at least for what we would say is a single player product. Um, so where we're, we're blocking out and defending time and doing that kind of smart calendar assistant for the individual busy manager. Um, and we're, we're growing by thousands of active users every month. Um, and we've awesome. got, you know, thousands of, of distinct co- uh, companies that are using our software and we're seeing pretty good viral adoption um, where, you know, we might have had four users from one company. Um, this is actually just just in the uh, beginning of January. We had this really interesting. I think I think we had about four or five users from from one midsize software company, uh, who's about 500 employees total. And by the yeah. end of January, through just some of the virality of discovering reclaimed through those calendar events and through the Slack status events, um, I think we got to about 150. Uh, of the 500 oh, wow. employees in the span of a few weeks. And so Great. it was, you know, it was a good validation. That said, um, it's not kind of exponential growth right now. And and we, we know that the way we're going to do that is by tapping into basically team functionality, which is really where we want to, uh, you know, become more of an enterprise p- software rather than kind of a, mm. a prosumer piece of software. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got the funding to do it. We've got the fundamental platform to do it. Uh, what we don't have are the the engineers and the hands on the keyboards. Um, we okay. were fortunate enough, uh, you know, kind of in in parallel with our fund our last round of fundraising, um, to find a a head of marketing, a head of design, and a head of site operations. Um, and so that brought us to eight people now uh, that are on right. payroll. Um, but we basically need to hire like three or four more engineers yesterday. And it is very hard to find talent and also to find talent that can, can and want to, uh, kind of do a, a startup, uh, you know, compensation package. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really Mm -hmm. difficult with the Fang startups or not startups, the Fang software companies who can put out, you know, very attractive, uh, salaries. I, I sometimes joke, I'm like, you know, 
are they hiring for, can I apply for some of these jobs that were, I was going to say, you were probably one of these people, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we're, you know, we're, we're working through it, but, but, um, you know, we did find offering good healthcare. Um, you know, we, 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 we took a a posture pretty early on. We're like, we're not going to be able to cover base salary. We know you're signing up for lotto tickets that may never convert to anything. They're not going to ever be as stable as, you know, stock in Google. That's, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, coming through every quarter, but, sure. uh, at least we can provide the same kind of healthcare and, and benefits on that front. Um, and I think that's, that's actually been something, you know, we've only hired a handful of people so far, but it's yeah, been something that's yeah. been called out pretty consistently as a, I think, especially in a uncertain environment, like this has been mm-hmm, the last year, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to, to kind of stabilize it a little bit. That's helpful. I appreciate you sharing that and being candid about it because, uh, as you know, it doesn't matter if your company is eight people or a thousand. There's the challenge of finding these people is still the same, unless it is maybe a Google, <laughs> I guess, a couple of things. So, well, you know, I always like to end just you've been in Portland for a while. I don't know if you grew up here or if you moved here for a gig. Just talking about, you know, here in regards to business and as it's matured or grown. And what are your thoughts, yeah. you know, running a company and pros, challenges we might have? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, so I moved here, uh, actually to join Jive Software when it was very early on. Um, it was before they'd gone down the, the venture funding route. Um, they, they were just relocating the company from New York to Portland. The startup I was at in Palo Alto, uh, was falling apart and, okay. uh, you know, I knew, I knew the founders and, and it was a, a good fit. And so that got me up here. I originally thought it was going to be a, a short stint, um, uh, met my wife you know, uh, kind of fell in love with the city, fell in love with her. And here I am, I'm still here yeah. and, uh, we're doing a, a pretty major remodel. So I'm pretty sure we're not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, doesn't sound like I, it. yeah, I, I think Portland's a, I mean, it's a, it's a great town. I think it's a great place to, to, to start a software company. Um, I, I think our, probably I would say our in-house kind of venture capabilities are, pretty anemic. Um, you know, there, uh, we, you know, we, we've met all that's there. It doesn't take that long to meet everything that, you know, all the options that are there because there's like three, uh, I I might be exaggerating a little bit, but, but, you know, (laughs) uh, it's, there's not too many folks. Um, fortunately there's a, there's a good market, um, and, uh, you know, outside of, of Portland willing to invest in, Mm -hmm. um, in technology here. But I do wonder like, uh, we, we, we were certainly a lower risk investment, even while we were like struggling to get quite the, the partners we wanted. Um, you know, we, we did have term sheets, uh, you know, for $10 million post money, you know, kind of thing from, from investors within a few weeks of reaching out pre-product mm. and it's only gotten hotter since then. Um, yeah. But I think that that's only going to apply to a select number of people who have already had some traction here in Portland, and I and I know yeah. that from some of my entrepreneurial friends. You know, um, Luke Caney's the founder of Puppet. Like he's able to do that kind of thing because he has a a thing he did in the past. But if you're just trying to break in in the Bay Area, you're still going to find support from the investment community. You're probably not in Portland today. That's just the re- that's I think being realistic. It's a really good insight, but it's so encouraging to see these people like, you know, uh, your ex-boss, you know, Luke, uh, who I've had the founder of Edify, Kristen on, who I know mm-hmm. he's a mentor for these pieces come together as, and want to keep that 
money in flowing into Portland and support. So as you grow, blow up and get, you're going to do that uh, for other startups here, but it is a challenge too. Um, so we'll see how it matures or changes. I, I'm, I don't know, but it's, uh, it is kind of, uh, both sides of the sword a little bit. So, um, well, Patrick, where can people find more about you and reclaim? Uh, they don't need to find anything more about me personally, but, uh, reclaim, <laughs> uh, you can, you can learn a lot about our software and, and maybe a little bit about me. If you ask for help, I, I man the support desk um, okay. at uh, reclaim.ai. And uh, today we support the Google Calendar platform. We do not support Office. So I don't want to disappoint anybody just yet, uh, but that is uh, that is on the roadmap. And that's part of what our investment and our you know hiring, should we, uh, should we be able to fill all these roles, will go towards. Awesome. Well, exciting. And, and thanks again, Patrick, for being on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.